Okay, guys, we are in Ephesians chapter 1. We're in lesson 4. And we just spent the last two weeks looking at Paul's praise for God, specifically each person of the Godhead. Now when we come to chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, we're actually going to see a prayer now. Paul's going to offer a prayer for the Ephesian believers. And there's a lot that we can gain from this. In fact, let me explain something to you. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you struggle sometimes knowing how to pray for people? Everybody understand what I'm talking about? You know, because sometimes we can get into a rut of, when we pray for people, we pray for them, oh God, bless them, you know what I'm saying? Or some of you, it's, oh God, zap them. No, that's not good. But there is a way to pray for people, and Paul really shows us an example here uh, in this passage that will help you in knowing how to pray for one another. Okay, because he's praying for these Ephesian believers. And what we're going to see here, we're going to basically break this section of verses down into two parts. First of all, verse 15, we're going to talk about their testimony. And then we're going to see the petition that he gives for them, what he actually prays for them. So let's look at it first of all. Look with me at verse 15. And notice what Paul is saying here. He said, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So here's what I want you to see. First of all, Paul heard of their faith. Paul heard of their faith. They, that is, they had a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. They had a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let's just stop for a moment. We, we have kind of confused what this means to have a testimony. For, for a lot of us, especially in our circle of churches, simply having made a profession of faith that you got saved at some point, maybe 20, 30 years ago, or even baptized, which baptism doesn't save you. Let me just go ahead and say that. Simply because of your... Some people say that's your testimony. What we want you to see is, is in this passage, what Paul's talking about their testimony of faith. He's really talking about what their lives are communicating to those around them. It's not their profession. Because talk is cheap. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Because you could say one thing, I love Jesus and I'm saved, and live a whole completely different way than what you are expressing. The reality of what is coming out of the original language here is that when he heard of their testimony, he's hearing reports about their faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's faith expressed in action, not in words. Because again, talk is cheap. So here's Paul. He's away. He's in prison. So I want you to think about it. I mean, that would be like, okay, if you think about it, he's in prison. Probably he's in Rome. They're over here in Asia Minor. You know, the distance from there to there would probably be like me living up here and my mom down in Columbia, South Carolina, getting reports about her son George. Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? It's that distance. Now, with today's email and phone and cell phones and Facebook and everything, you get a whole lot of news about people. But back then... 
people had to literally go from one place to the other. And so he would hear reports, probably from travelers coming to visit him in Rome or wherever he's at, telling him, telling them about their faith. So what I want you to see is, is that he's hearing a report about their faith. Now, what's the implication for that? What, what kind of reports are about your faith? What are people saying about your faith? Now, I'm not talking about your profession. Because all of us, let's be honest, all of us, all of us, I mean, I remember it. Do you, the Holy Joes at work. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, the, the Holy Joes at work who talk a good Bible talk, but buddy, you know, when it comes to the rest of their life or, or whatever about work or whatever, you know exactly where their heart is. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know that, you know what I'm saying? That's not a testimony. Well, that is a testimony, isn't it? It's not a good testimony. So what he's saying here is that he's heard about their testimony of faith, the, the reports of their faith, that is, their faith in action. Now, here's the other thing he's heard about them. They had a testimony of love for each other. Notice what else he says there in verse 15. Therefore, after I heard of your faith, and then notice there's a nice little three-letter word there, and your love for all the saints. He's saying, I've heard about your faith, I've heard the testimonies of your faith, the reports of your faith, but he says, I'm also hearing about the love that you have for each other, for all the saints, for all the believers. So again... It's simply not just enough to to express in your life faith with action. You also need to express in your life a love for the brethren. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to express a love for each other. Now, here, here, let me explain something. Now, that's, that, that part, the first part's difficult. Living out your faith. Loving the brethren, that's even more difficult. Because you know what? Here's the thing. You ever been around folks for a while? We irritate each other. We rub each other wrong, don't we? I mean, people don't think like us. Do you know what I'm saying? They don't root for the same team you do. Just look around. <laughs> Middle pew, right here. <laughs> I mean, you're a Steeler fan, and there he is. And, and you're like, well, it's from Pennsylvania. Well, what about the guy that was wearing the Dallas one over here, you know? He hasn't come back anymore. You guys aren't showing love. I'm just kidding. He does come. All right. What I want you to see is love is the one of the things that really needs to be a mark of our lives is love for each other. Which, can I be honest with you, how you love one, someone is you've got to tolerate stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? A key component of love, especially in a church, is learning to tolerate stuff. Is learning to tolerate each other. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, and you're like, well, I don't know that I... Look, they have to deal with you. You need to learn to deal with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's what he's saying. He's hearing this testimony. Number one, that they have faith in action. He's hearing about their faith. And then number two, about their love for each other. That's got to be the key components. Now, can I be honest with you? Those are the key components of any church. Let me just say this. 
the key component of a church is not what we're accomplishing. The key component of a church is not what we're, quote, doing for Jesus. The key components of a church that really say that we're a healthy church are, number one, is faith expressed in the lives of people who come here? And number two, do they love each other? That's really what the marks of a church are. And so we see that here. Now, I want you to notice now, because of this, because of these two things, because of their love, because of their faith being expressed in action, he is now going to pray for them. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We're going to look at how he prays for them. Because, again, it's more than just a bless them prayer. He's going to ask specifically for things for their walk with Jesus. So, can I be honest with you? The application for me as a pastor is, is when I think about you guys, yeah, and you know what? When I, and during the week, I'll pray about certain stuff that I know that's going on in your life. And so some of you, nothing's going on in your life, so probably I won't pray for you that week because I'm focused on... But the implication here is, I need to pray for you, period, in these number of areas. Do you understand what I'm saying? In these number of areas. So let's look and see what it is. Alright? Look with me. Verse 16 through 23. And do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling that are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceedingly greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so let's look here. First of all, I want you to notice with me his issue of praying. He continually expressed thanks for them. First thing I want you to notice about his prayers, he's praying... He says that he continually expressed thanks for them. Now, this is a key component of any prayer, and I think it's very interesting. It's right up front at the beginning. When Paul prayed for those folks there in Ephesus, the first thing he's doing is, is he's continually, not just one time saying, oh, Jesus, thank you for that church. He's continually praising God for those people. You know what, folks, when you start your prayer, a couple things need to happen. Number one, you've got to acknowledge Him. But number two, you've got to enter into thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving will do something for you. Thanksgiving will put everything into perspective. And you need to thank God for the people who are a part of your church family. Even the ones who irritate you. You need to thank God for your church family. You need to thank Him. And continually express thanks. Because when you do that, you're putting everything in perspective. Because you're giving thanks to who? God the Father. And who's the one who's in control? 
God the Father. Whose church is it? God's. So you've got to express thanks. Now here's what he did. He was consistent. Also, look at verse 16 there. Look at this. He said, Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Again, it's a continual thing here. The language brings it out. It's a continual thing. So Paul was consistent in praying for them. So this wasn't a one-time prayer. In fact, he just says right up front, he did not cease. That is, he continued not only just to give thanks for them, but to mention them in prayer. So it was a priority to him to pray for them. Okay, so let's stop. There's, a, there's an application here for us. How many of you, I will ask you to raise your hand. How many of you are excited about what God's doing in our church? And it makes you, like, ready to come to church on Sunday. Okay, all right, now, let's just, okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands now. How many of you prayed about Oh, God, keep doing what you're doing. How many of you are praying for that? See, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because we take stuff for granted, don't we? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, we're excited about what God's doing. We're excited about new people. We're excited about people being baptized and expressing their faith. We're excited about all the different areas, what the youth are doing. We're excited about all the different stuff that's going on. We're excited about the great spirit that's here and everything, God meeting with us. But how many of you are praying about it? Because can I be honest with you? Only takes one little thing. You know, for instance, it's that time of the year when you buy a bag of potatoes. And if there's one rotten one in there and you don't catch it, what happens to the rest of the potatoes? Yeah, it's like all of a sudden you'll catch it. Holy cow, what's that smell coming out of that closet? You know what I'm saying? And uh, do you understand? All it takes is one little problem to arise. Okay? All it takes is one little problem to arise. And it can happen, folks. An attitude develop. A bad spirit. Do you understand? So if we're excited about what God's doing, don't you think we got a responsibility? What's our responsibility? Pray. Consistently pray. Go throughout this week and pray for the church. In fact, if you're not on the prayer team, because Sam and Sue, they have the, you'll get an email if you give them your either, and they'll tell you about things to pray for. A lot of times it'll be stuff about the church and stuff. Others to pray for within the church. You need to develop that habit of praying for the church, because you can't take anything for granted. Because here's what will happen. I've seen it happen, folks, and you've seen it happen. We're all excited about what's going on, and then all of a sudden, somewhere along the road, we'll hit a bump, and there'll be some kind of terrible thing happen, and people, after the terrible thing happens, and the church decreases, and it hardly exists anymore, people will sit back, and they'll have a coffee, or maybe it'll drink, you know, eat a burger at McDonald's or something, and they'll say, oh, I remember when things were so good over there at the church don't know what happened. How I many you know what I'm talking about? I can tell you exactly what happened. We didn't pray. We didn't pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
So he's consistent in praying for them. Are you consistent? Don't raise your hand. That's something you've got to ask yourself. And I'm not talking about every day, God bless the church. No, no. Take some time. Say, I'm, on Tuesdays. Tuesday is my day for praying for the church. Pray for me. Pray for the band. Pray for the leaders. Pray, pray, pray for every, pray for the people who just sit in a pew, but pray. And here's one thing you can be praying. We're going to talk about some, several things here, but the passage doesn't bring this one. God protect us from people who shouldn't be here. Do you understand? Because we're actually going to talk about it today in the morning message about wolves in sheep's clothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you need to pray. So he's consistent in praying. Let's go on now. Here's his prayer. Here's what he prayed. First thing he prayed is Paul asked that they would have an attitude of wisdom. Look at verse 17. That God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So he's wanting you to have wisdom. That's not that you get... Okay, let me just stop. We're not talking about head knowledge. Because you can be an egghead and not know anything. You understand what I'm saying? What he's talking about here is biblical common sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I know a lot of you would rather talk to somebody who's got common sense than somebody who's got a bunch of degrees and doesn't know anything. What he's praying is, is that as he's praying for these Ephesian believers, he's praying for them to have practical, everyday wisdom in their life. Now, isn't that true? All of us need wisdom, don't we? So if you want, I was like, how do I pray for so-and-so? We already know. God give them wisdom. Okay? God give them wisdom. Now, let's go on here. Here's the source of the wisdom. The source of the wisdom comes through knowing Him. Look at what it says here. The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In the knowledge of Him. Now let me just stop for a moment. That word knowledge, the Greek, our English word has knowledge, but actually there are several different Greek words that can be used for the word knowledge. And the Greek word that is used here doesn't come out in our English translation, but the Greek word that's used here is an experiential knowledge, not a head knowledge. So the way that you gain wisdom isn't studying books. The way that you gain wisdom is knowing Jesus Christ through experience, a relationship with Him. Is that an awesome thought? So really what I'm going to pray for is God not only give them wisdom, but help them to grow in their relationship with you, Jesus. Help them to grow in their relationship with you. Now let's go on. He's going to pray for one other thing for them here. He's going to pray about their understanding. Paul prayed that they would have spiritual insight. Look with me at verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. He's talking here about insight, spiritual insight. Now, so for instance, here's the thing. Most of you probably listen to some sort of news. I'm not going to ask you what your favorite news is. For some of you, you love CNN. Some of you love Fox News. Some of you couldn't care less about that, and you're a Gantt Daily person or whatever. I, 
whatever your news is, is you, you are being fed stuff all the time that, quote, gives you insight to what's going on. And you have your opinion about what's going on in the world. Right? Everybody understand what I'm talking about? What we want to pray is, is that you have a different type of insight. What we want to pray is, is that when you look at what's going on around you in the world, that your, your insight is not from CNN or Fox or anybody, but your insight is spiritual insight. That you have a Bible insight, so that when you look at what's going on over in the Middle East, with Israel, it's not what you see in the news, it's what you see in the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? It helps you to understand what's going on. See, we've got to pray for insight, spiritual insight, that God gives you a different perspective. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? Gives you a different perspective. Now let's go on and look with me again. The reason for this request. Verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So the first reason why I'm going to do this is that Paul wanted them to understand the nature of their salvation. He wants them to understand what salvation means to them. So when I'm praying, like if I'm going to pray for you guys, I'm going to say, oh God, I pray for the folks in our church that God, that they would just grasp the, have an understanding of what it means to be saved. What you did for them, Jesus. What is their hope? So this is what he's talking about. Here's the other thing. Look with me at verse 18. He says this, And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Okay, so the other thing he wants them to understand, Paul wanted them to understand the richness of their inheritance. He wants them to understand what's waiting for them later on. Now this one's crucial. Because listen, if you understand what's waiting for you later on, how much are you going to pay attention to what you have right now here? Zero. See, if your focus is not what's ahead... You're going to be looking at, man, well, how can I be- make things better now? But our focus needs to be where? What's lying ahead of us? Do you understand what I'm saying? What's lying ahead of us? That's what's going on there. And then notice now, he wants them to know God's power. Look with me at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Now, here's what I want you to see. This is what he's saying here. Paul wanted them to understand the availability of God's power. It's an interesting story that comes from the mission field. I've shared this. It has been a while since I've shared this one, but I'll share it with you again. A lot of you probably have not heard it. Some of you have. Just bear with me. It's a story of a guy who goes to the mission field, and he... um, goes to a mission station and the old missionary who's there is leaving and so he's leaving his car to the new missionary and he's trying to explain to the new missionary here's what you do there's some kind of problem with the car so whenever you park make sure that you're on an incline and then when you start up the vehicle push in the clutch put it in gear and have some, have some of the nationals push the vehicle down the hill and then pop the clutch and it'll start. And so this missionary for about 10 years, he's got this vehicle, he's doing that for 10 years. It's getting ready to be time for him to go home 
And another missionary comes who's going to take over his work temporarily. And so he says, oh, you can use my vehicle now. Here's, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, you know, whatever. And, and the other missionary says, kind of listen to him. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes over to the vehicle and he says, pop the hood. He pops the hood. He goes and says, oh, here's the problem. It's a loose battery cable. The writer of the article said, that story from the mission field is so true about so many of us today in our churches. The power is always there. It's a question of whether or not you access it. And here's what Paul's praying. He's praying that they understand, here's what, I should move it forward, the availability of God's power. The availability of God's power. The power is there, folks. But here's what we do. We, we're like the missionary. We're, we're parking on inclines, you know what I'm saying, and, and we're doing whatever. You know, I like that story because I remember when I, was in, when I spent the summer in Kenya when I was in school, the missionary gave us a vehicle to use. It was an old Toyota made in Australia. So the only parts you could get for this baby was in Australia. Okay? And the starter appendix was missing a couple of teeth to start that flywheel. So we would have to sit there sometimes for 30 minutes Boom, 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 just trying to wait for the teeth to catch it right so we could go. <laughs> so I love that story about that other missionary. There, there was nothing we could do about it. But <laughs> this guy had power, and he wasn't available. Look, folks, there's power available to you. And the fact is, is you need to realize that. So here's what he's praying. He's praying, God, help them to understand the power that's available to him. So then what happens afterwards, that's verse 19, when you get to verse 20 and 23, he's going to explain to us what this power is. Because some of you are like, what's this power stuff? What kind of power are we talking about here? First of all, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice with me, he wants them, he wanted them to understand what this power is. He wanted to under, them to understand what this power is. So then in verse 21... Here's the first thing he says about what this power is. This power raised Christ from the dead at his resurrection. Let me just stop for a moment. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, what kind of power is it that raises somebody from the dead? Is that power, folks? And here's what he's saying. He's praying that you understand that same power. That's, that's wow. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That you understand that same power. That you understand that it's available to you. Here's what he else is saying about this power. This power exalted Christ to a place of honor. Look with me. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. He's talking about glorifying Jesus. He's saying that this power not only raised him from the dead, but it glorified him. It put him in a place of honor. This is the same power that's available to you and I, folks. And then notice what else. This power placed all things under Christ's authority. 
this same power not only raised him, not only glorified him, but it put all things under his authority. Now here's the wonderful thing about it. That same power is available to you for your life. Here's what Paul says in Philippians. This is kind of like a life's verse for me. That I may know him. The, the NIV says this, I want to know Jesus. And what? The power of his resurrection. Philippians 3.10. Now here's the other part of it. And the fellowship of his sufferings. He wanted to know all three of them. He wanted to know Jesus, his power, and his sufferings. You know what I'm saying? And so power is part of the, what God wants us. Now here's what happens. The confusion comes from a lot of what you see on TV about what that power means. It is not this weird, funky stuff that you see on TV, but it's power for living today for you. Does everybody understand? Okay, next week what we're going to do then is we're going to get into chapter 2 and we're going to talk about who you are in Jesus. So let's pray.